every story that gets told clears up in one very small instance, people's misperceptions about our profession, right? But if we all did that, you think about the aggregate of that, what a powerful impact that could have. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marion Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a pen nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Today on Amplify Nursing, we talk to Beth Toner, a Senior Communications Director at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Beth is able to perfectly intersect her experience as a nurse and her previous career in journalism. A self-described nurse, communicator, and storyteller, she supports the foundation's grantees, leadership, and nursing programs. In this interview, Beth talks to us about the COVID-19 pandemic, cringeworthy nursing stereotypes, and the power nurses have when they tell their stories. Beth Toner, thank you so much for talking with us today. I am super excited to have you on the podcast. And I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Sure. So obviously you and I know each other and have been working um, peripherally together for a little while through the work that you're doing at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the work I'm doing at Penn Nursing. But for our listeners who may somehow not know who you are. Um, can you give us a little <laughs> bit of background on both your position at Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, but then also I want to hear, you have a fascinating backstory of education mixed together. Um, so I'd love to hear about that journey also. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So, um, and and I'd be surprised actually, if a lot of people knew who I am, because I, uh, at RWJF, I like to, uh, that's the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Um, I like to do a lot of the work behind the scenes, but I am at RWJF. I am a senior communications officer, uh, which means I work to support some of the investments me, we make with communication. So I work with a team of communicators um, who lift up the work of our grantees, who share some of the things we believe about specific areas of our investments. I also happen to, as part of my role, support our leadership programs, but most importantly, um, our nursing programs, uh, which is something I actually uh, requested after several years on the job at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation because it felt like a perfect uh, meeting of my two skill sets, my two passions. And so you asked about my background. Um, I am actually have a ton more experience as a communications person. Uh, I like to tell people that I, when I entered undergraduate education, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was, but let me tell you that I had really big hair when I started college. Um, I need pictures, Beth. (laughs) Not a chance. Um, Not a chance. And really big earrings and those puffy capri pants. I don't even remember what they were called anymore. Um, So when I started my undergraduate education, I was a theater major. I was going to be uh, an actress. And that worked out so well that I graduated from college and became a journalist. Uh, um, so I, you know, I have a got a master's degree in journalism and spent the next twenty-ish years um, working in marketing communications. I worked in uh, property casualty insurance, writing an employee magazine uh, back in the day when that was still a thing. 
uh, worked in um, financial services for quite a number of years. And I worked uh, two healthcare jobs, interestingly enough, Marion at the University of Pennsylvania Health System in the marketing department, and also a children's hospital of Philadelphia. And I will tell you that those experiences working in healthcare marketing uh, taught me two things. One is that it was important for me, even in whatever communications job I was working in, to feel as if I was working in a field where I could make some sort of difference, right? Even if it were in my communications. And the second was that, wow, I really loved healthcare. Uh, so fast forward to 2007, um, and I just had really gotten to the point in my job. I was working in financial services, and I said to my sister, who is also a nurse, I said, you know, I am just, you know, I, my job is great. Um, I'm good at my job. I want to feel like I'm doing more than making rich people richer. And she, you know, I said, I, I just remember how happy I was, you know, doing healthcare marketing. Um, and she reminded me that I had actually had a nurse's kit when I was in third grade and how much I wanted to be a nurse. And I, you know, I had kind of forgotten that. Um, and it had gotten to the point, nursing education had gotten to the point where um, I was, uh, chief breadwinner for the family, but education had gotten to the point where I could keep my day job and go to nursing school nights and weekends. Um, so I did that, graduated from Delaware County Community College um, outside of Philadelphia in 2010, uh, passed my NCLEX, and then found it difficult, um, even with a master's degree in journalism. Surprisingly enough, that does not matter to a magnet hospital. They really don't care if you're really good at writing. Um, didn't have a bachelor's degree in nursing, so had a hard time in 2010 getting a clinical job. Um, actually wound up working part-time, um, two to three weekends a month in long-term care, in addition to my office communications job, which was really wonderful. I really liked the job. Uh, but it was too much for me to do and hold down the office job. And I will tell you that long-term care uh, is hard on new grads. Uh, I had 32 patients at night, which was commonly the shift I worked. So I stepped away from that job. And about that time, I had a friend from my journalism background uh, who said, you know, I'm working at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and there's a position open in communications. And she said, I think it is the perfect mix of skill sets for you. Um, so that's how I wound up at RWJF. And in, you know, in addition to that, I then discovered volunteering in community health. So I volunteered at a free clinic in Westchester. And um, I was like, wow, this is the nursing I wanted to get into. So, you know, I was lucky. I landed, I have landed in a place where I get to do all the things I love about being both a communicator and a storyteller, as well as a nurse. So that was a real, I promised you short answers. I completely lied. There's a really long answer for you. There's so many things I want to ask you. Um, <laughs> okay. So let's start with, I find it fascinating that your sister was the one who reminded you that you had a nurse's kit when you were three. Uh, what is it, do you think about nursing that you were so drawn to? And was it because of what you were seeing in your health communications job that you decided nursing was the role that you wanted to pursue? Um, you know, that's interesting. I was just thinking about that. Um, it was actually third grade. I wasn't three, but I was third uh, sorry, grade. Third grade. <laughs> Friday, Friday brain. Friday brain. Friday brain. Um, no, I think it was a couple of things. So I think, you know, I had been really into the, you know, when she reminded me of that, I, and I remembered that I was so into the nursing thing, right? And I loved history. So I read about, you know, the roles nurses played in history. 
but you know, my father had been, my father passed away when I was 14 and I think I had had, it was, you know, it was in the early eighties and it was, uh, that was a really hard experience for me. It was a hard experience for me and my sister. It, um, dying of cancer in the 1980s, it's never pretty, right? In the 1980s, it was really hard. Um, there was no hospice. Uh, and it took me, I think that was what kind of steered me away originally from healthcare because I couldn't take the hospital environment. But a couple of things happen, happened simultaneously that I think kind of coalesced for me to choose nursing. I think you're right. One of it was the healthcare communications, right? Um, interacting with uh, nurses, because you, you have to, as a communications person, if you're doing your job right, you interact with clinical staff. And, you know, God bless all the other clinical staff. They were all amazing. The nurses were the best, right? Like they thought the most holistically. I saw the impact that they had on people, even when they weren't working, you know, hands on bedside. Um, I liked the approach they took. I liked the way they thought. Um, and then, you know, I, this is, and I actually just thought about this just now when I, uh, so my second marriage, I had two teenagers and my husband and I decided at, well, it was far too late in my life to have a, to have a child together. So at the age of almost 40, I like to say that I was six days shy of my 40th birthday. My son was born. Um, and this was about a year and a half before I started nursing school. And I think because I was, I was older, um, and paying attention, right. I had had a few early discussions about nursing with my sister and really paying attention during my labor and delivery experience. And I think that really kind of solidified for me because for me, like, you know, I, and you know, Marion, you and I have talked about this, right? Like the compassion of nurses is legendary and, and that legend is 99% true. Right. And certainly I experienced that, but I think the other thing I saw in that labor and delivery experience was not just the compassion, not just the care, but the amazing amount of stuff that nurse had to know, right? The ability to manage that situation and the way she interacted, not just with me, but with who I was, the context of my life, what was important to me. And frankly, my whole darn family, because I didn't just bring like literally, not, not, not even just figuratively, but literally to the delivery room, my husband, my two stepdaughters, my two teenagers, and my mother-in-law, right? Like, and she was totally unflapped by that, right? And I think, I don't know, there was just something about that, right? The fact that that was, it was so clearly a part of her way of life and part of her profession. I think that's what finally really kind of put the, sealed the deal for me, if that makes sense. Totally. And did nursing end up being the profession for you that you thought it was going to be? Um, yes and no. Uh, definitely a yes and no. I think, I think I was terrified going into nursing school that I just didn't have it. Um, you know, I was, I mean, I'm for, for goodness sake, I was, a, you know, a, a bad actress and a pretty good writer, right? Like none of that translates to being able to do science. Um, I was amazed when I passed anatomy and physiology <laughs> and actually got ACE, which uh, again, really astonishing, right? So I think in a lot of ways, nursing school and nursing was like, wow, I totally get this, right? In a way that I didn't think I would. Um, it, it, there were a lot of things that I expected it would be that it was, you know, an opportunity. I think one thing about in, during nursing school, I think as an older student, what I really, really appreciated 
and understood that I would never really get to experience again is, you know, you have one or two patients in clinicals. And I appreciated the time to really get to know patients because I was efficient, particularly, you know, first semester when all you're doing is giving bed baths, like I'd get my stuff done and then I could sit and talk to the patient. I could, you know, talk to the nurse about what was going on. Um, so I think all those things, you know, were very much what I expected and very much things I enjoyed. I think I underestimated or did not understand systemically the problems that nurses are facing. Um, you know, the, the understaffing, you know, I think it was a, it was a wake up call when I got to long-term care. You know, I think there's a bit of imposter syndrome that all new nurses have. I think that just, that, it, that comes with the territory. That's, that's human being, that has nothing to do with systems, but I do think the systems exacerbate that. And I was very much surprised at kind of the lack of, uh, particularly in long-term care, the lack of orientation I got. It, yeah, it was, it was much, certainly I knew that prioritization was going to be important. I knew that it would feel overwhelming. I think I underestimated just how terrifying it would be. And also just how the systems don't support new nurses, particularly in long-term care. I think acute care facilities have gotten better at precepting, at orientation, um, but long-term care is certainly not there. Um, and I think when I say, like, you asked if it, you know, it met my expectations, I think in some way it exceeded my expectations, particularly once I got into community health. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really cool because we're thinking not just about the individual patients, but how could we do things better in our community? Um, and then in some ways it was really disappointing because I felt as if nurses were treated as a commodity and a cost center which we are, right? We are a cost center. We are not a revenue generator, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting and it was a wake up call. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with all of the points that you are making. You know, when I went to my first job out of nursing school, I was in the medical ICU and I also was incredibly oh. petrified of every shift, but yeah, I mean, I think having a good support system for new grads is really important. And, you know, I think for us to be able to keep new grads in the acute setting, these are, and in long-term care facilities where they're really needed, these are things that these systems are going to have to start addressing. Well, and I think too, you know, I, and I'm a, I, you know, I, I don't know if you watch Star Trek Discovery, but my favorite character likes to say, I like feeling feelings. I am a feeling person, Right. But I wish in nursing school, like, and I think this is a long-term, a long-term culture change we need to make. We don't like to talk about our feelings in nursing. We really don't. We're happy to talk about feelings with patients, but we aren't talking, we aren't willing to talk about our own feelings. And Marion, I will tell you that it's only in the last couple of years that I have found people who said, oh my gosh, I was totally terrified when I first got out of school. We don't talk about that in nursing school. If somebody had said to me, you are going to be terrified, here's how we can work together to manage it, that would have been so freeing to me, right? Because I thought I was alone in being terrified. And it turns out, no, that's just really normal human behavior. And you know, I, there was one person in my nursing school class who was never terrified. And that person has had 10 jobs since 2010. And I'm pretty sure that person is not the world's best nurse. So it's interesting that you say this, right? Because you're a communications person. So do you think that's a communications lens that you're 
thinking this through? Like if we all feel our feelings and are able to <laughs> discuss and talk about those feelings that, um, you know, we'll be able to be better nurses out of the gate from nursing school. I, I mean, I think so. Right. But I think, I mean, and I acknowledge my bias as a communicator as right as an extrovert, who's pretty comfortable talking about my feelings, but I do think particularly coming out of this pandemic, right. If people, people can't say I'm not okay, right? Like I'm not okay. We are going to be dealing with a profession that's going to be staffed with, with, with walking wounded um, for, for, for a very long time. I, I mean, I think so. Right. Like, but again, I acknowledge my bias in that I'm a communicator, a storyteller and somebody who loves to emote. So <laughs> well, do you think, do you, well, okay. So do you think the pandemic has changed that? Do you, are you hearing more nurses saying I'm not okay in various different ways, whether it's through writing or other communication modalities? I mean, I do think so. I think, um, and, and that's anecdotal, right? Like I don't have any peer reviewed data or peer reviewed research. that's going to tell you that I think anecdotally, I hear it. Certainly I hear it from my colleagues who are, are, are continuing to provide clinical care who are at the bedside. I know a lot of nurses who don't feel comfortable saying it in an institutional setting, but they will express that on social media. Um, they will express it to their peers. I do think, I mean, it's really almost, it's like when pressure builds up inside of a, a, a a balloon or, you know, you either, it's either going to get released or it's going to explode. Right. And I think that's, what's happening with a lot of nurses. They're like, I need to talk about this, or I'm just going to like, I'm just, I'm I'm going to implode. I'm not going to be able to do my job anymore. I think for sure that's true. You know, my sister was, and I'm going to get emotional talking about this. My sister was in the COVID ICU in the, in New York city. Um, My sister, the nurse um, in the very early days of the pandemic and she had a new grad taking care of her. And because my sister is my sister, um, you know, I don't remember what she was, obviously I was not there, but the, the new grad came in and she was doing something and she was talking to my sister and doing whatever needed to be done. And my sister looked at her and said, which of course I can't believe my sister sat in the ICU while she's laying in an ICU bed, but she's like, how are you? And the, the, the new grad said, I'm fine. And my sister said, no, I mean, she's like, I'm actually asking you how you're doing. And she got, she just started crying, you know? I mean, she's like, uh, you know, she, and she explained to my sister that, you know, this is a lot, this is not what I expected when I graduated from nursing school, you know? And she was, I think she was so emotional because nobody had said to you, how are you? So wait, your sister was in the ICU as a patient, not as a nurse? That's correct. And did she get COVID from patient care? No, she, my sister is not working clinically either. She works in a community school in Brooklyn. So pretty sure she got it, you know, pretty sure community transmission. Okay. And how is your sister now? She's, she's fine. She's, she's continuing to be my sister, which is, (laughs) I mean, she's doing everything that she was before. No, she's fine. Um, yeah, very grateful for that. Um, we actually talked this morning on Zoom and um, she was one of the lucky ones who did not get put on a ventilator. Um, and she thinks she's pretty sure that saved her life. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that story is so powerful, especially right now, because there are so many 
not not even just new grads, right? There are so many nurses, like there's only so much <laughs> that nursing um, workforce can take. And yeah. with the pandemic, you know, every, every wave, it seems like it's going to end and then it comes again. You know, how do we give these nurses and all healthcare providers and frontline workers a uh, venue to express those feelings in a safe and therapeutic way? Yeah, I wish I, you know, I wish I had a thousand percent foolproof answer to that. I mean, I think there's certainly... I mean, some of that is just nurses are just going to demand that (laughs) Um, because they're going to be like, I literally can't do my job unless you support me. I think that is going to happen. I think that if there are a lot of horrible things that have come out of this pandemic, there are a couple of really positive things. And one is I think nurses will never be quite as quiet as they have been in the past. Um, Boy, boy, I hope so. I mean, yeah, I hope so. Um, So do I have a fail safe answer? I think one is, I think... I I think as a community of nurses, like those of us who are working at bedside, those of us who aren't like, I make an effort to reach out to my, my clinically working friends and say, what are you doing? How can I support you? Like, feel free to talk, right? I also, um, I'm also just a pain in the butt on Facebook, right? Like, I understand that I'm being high school and juvenile when I just rant and rave on Facebook about face masks and social distancing. And you put off that trip, right? Like I'm, but it makes me raising my voice makes me feel better. And I hope in some way it has, and I recognize it probably doesn't have a ton of influence on the diehards. Um, You know, I raise my voice on social media. So I think those things like wherever we are as nurses, if we can speak up and say, first of all, let's end this pandemic. Let's do the things we need to do to end the pandemic. And also, hey, nurses, I care about you. I want to see the systems change so we don't ever have to go through this again. I think that will help. I think we need to provide nurses and it's going to happen. Like there's no magic wand we can wave to make this happen on a nationwide systemic in a systemic way, but providing nurses with outlets to raise their voices after this is over too, right? Raise their voices for long-term systemic change, ask them about how they would fix the systems coming out of this, provide them places to tell their stories, make sure that they can talk to people who might be able to help them tell their story, whether that's, you know, Eve Ensler, who is no longer called Eve Ensler, but who wrote the vagina monologues, did an amazing Zoom play, for lack of a better word, about nurses. And I can't now remember the name of it. It was a, it was, it was a recording. I think we need more pieces like that coming out of this. I think nurses need to feel seen and heard. Um, Marvel Comics, I don't know if you saw this, just released a superhero comic. They partnered with Allegheny Health Network, um, Nurses as Superheroes, right? Like, and none of this is going to fix the problems, Marion, right? Like, this is not going to take away the pain that people have experienced. But I think the more outlets we help, we provide for nurses to tell their stories and feel heard, I think that just, I mean, this is somebody, I just read an article that, you know, just the very dysfunctional grieving processes we've had to go through individually and collectively this year. And I think one mistake we often make after someone dies is we silence people when they talk about their loved one and yet talking about their loved one is one way they heal. Right. And I think the same principle applies to nurses who are suffering some pretty tremendous grief from what they've been through, what they've done, what they've seen. And then I do think, I think health systems, nursing associations, I think we need to commit to providing some pretty in-depth 
long-term longitudinal mental health support for nurses. Like that's, I mean, like storytelling isn't going to fix, is not going to fix the things that need to be fixed. Um, and I think we need to build those into our systems. I think too long we have asked all healthcare providers to suck it up and that's not, that's not okay. Right. Totally. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> sucking it up mentality after this is really going to be out the window. It well, should I, be. I hope so. Right. But like, this is talk about, talk about a deeply entrenched thing. You know, I even see it. Yeah. I mean, I see it in members of my extended family, people who work EMS and, you know, like that, I'm going to tough it out. Like, man, there is no prize for toughing it out. And it's taken me a long time in my life to figure that out. But man, it is entrenched in our healthcare system across the board who can be tougher. Right. And that is, that's just not even productive, frankly. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was just having this conversation with a colleague yesterday, like, I even wonder what the profession is going to look like after COVID. I think a lot of providers, not just nurses, but a lot of frontline workers, healthcare providers are sticking it out because they feel an obligation to patients and public health right now. But once the pandemic goes away, are they going to look back and say, you know what, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> the healthcare system did not have my back. And, you know, this is no longer something I want to be a part of. Well, and frankly, the nation hasn't had their back. Right. I yes. mean, I, I think I hear that from so many nurses, like, really, like, you can't mask up that this, this is a, this is a problem for you. You know, I haven't peed in 14 hours. I don't think these lines on my face for my face shield and my mask are ever going to go away, but you can't wear a mask. Wow. I mean, I think, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I know we could, we could have a whole separate conversation yeah. about human behavior right now. Yeah. So, and I agree, like, I don't know what the nursing profession is going to look like after this. I think, um, and a colleague say, I, I mean, so first of all, I do think there's going to be an exodus. I think nurses are hanging in because they feel an obligation and because they care. I think there is going to be an exodus of nurses, particularly from critical and emergency care. Um, I had a colleague who observed, and I think this may be right, that I think we will see nursing school enrollments go up well, as much as they can, right? Because we're, we're, we're often at capacity in nursing right. schools, but, it, it, and he called it the 9-11 effect, right? Like so many people signed up to be firefighters mm -hmm. after 9-11. And I wonder if that's not true. Um, you know, particularly you think about people whose family members were cared for by nurses or felt supported by nurses. I think there will be some of that. Um, but I also think the folks going into nursing school, just like the rules for hijacking changed after 9-11, I think the folks going into nursing school post-pandemic are going to have a very different set of expectations and a different worldview. And nursing schools are going to have to adapt to that or die. Well, and I think that's already happening. And I think that was happening pre-pandemic. I agree. But I totally agree that is going to only be heightened post-pandemic. So I'd love to talk a little bit about storytelling. So um, <laughs> we were really fortunate at Penn Nursing to be supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and with your lead, of course, for our Penn Nursing Story Slam um, event. And 
we've had conversations about storytelling and the power of storytelling and why it's so important for nurses to speak up and tell their stories, similarly to what we've just been talking about. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on why telling your story is so important, and especially for nurses to be able to amplify their voice out into the public. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I think storytelling is important. Um, I tell you that storytelling is fun, but not everybody feels that way. Um, So that's a really good reason for me. I think storytelling does a couple of things, particularly for nurses. I think one is, I think every, for every nurse who tells a story does a little bit more to clear up what people, what misperceptions people have about nursing. I think so often that the misperceptions the public has about nursing really are detrimental to us because um, it really perpetuates the stereotypes and keeps us from getting the recognition, the seat at the table that we deserve. You know, and I'll give you two stories in that regard. One is I remember when I was in nursing school and I was working an office job and I would study at lunchtime. Um, And I had a friend uh, who was an admin in our department and she came in and I had all my um, pharma note cards laid out on the, on my desk. And she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm reviewing, I'm reviewing this set of pharma drugs for an exam. And she said, why do you have to review the drugs? She's like, don't you just hand out what the physician orders? I said, well, yeah, that's true. I said, and I explained to her, you know, we were talking about Viagra. I said, if I give Viagra to somebody who's already taking an antihypertensive and his, his blood pressure drops into the basement, I am also liable for that. She totally did not know that, right? Like, and that's a, this is a small instance, but I think so often the public perceives us as, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, following doctor's <laughs> orders, right? But like, we have to use our independent clinical judgment and the, and so the public doesn't understand that. And I'll give you the kind of the, the pop culture, right? And Mary and I, you and I talked about this this week, NBC aired a show called Nurses. Right? I was yeah. really, really hoping you'd bring this up. Yay, nurses are front and center, right? We're no longer the love interest for, for whatever doctor, whatever physician is out there. So nurses are front and center. And it was horrifying. It was just horrifying. I mean, first of all, it started with all the nurses in the ER on their first day, right? So no no orientation, no receptor, no nothing, right? Those of you who have worked in emergency medicine know the worst thing you could get is a class of like eight new grads all just looking for something to do, right? And then as the episode progressed, each nurse followed a patient up to the floor and like all of a sudden they were either an OB nurse, they were, they were a transplant nurse. It was, it was just bizarre and it was horrifying and it was full of all the stereotypes. And of course they were all young, good looking and mostly white, right? And if they were in any way cantankerous, they were old. Um, and as a person who was pretty old when I graduated from nursing school, I take issue with that. So I think, you know, you, so I think first of all, it is ultimately nurses learning to tell their story. Every story that gets told clears up in one very small instance, people's misperceptions about our profession, right? But if we all did that, you think about the aggregate of that, what a powerful impact that could have. Um, I think also nursing, nurses getting good at telling their stories, I think is helpful for patients. I think for patients to understand, you know, Teresa Brown, uh, who is a New York Times writer, also a nurse, she wrote uh, two books. After she wrote her second book, The Shift, she told me she had a patient come to her and said, I am so glad you wrote The Shift because now I know what you were doing when you weren't in my room. 
right? Like that seems so simple, but it's so powerful, right? Because all patients see are when you interact with them. And I think it helps patients to understand that you are out there advocating for them. You are making sure that, you know, this medication, which is really causing you to suffer, you're trying to find an alternative to that, right? I think, I think all that is really important because the public can be a powerful advocate for us. And I'm hoping that this pandemic will have pushed the public to that. And then I have a really kind of deep personal reason I feel storytelling is really important for nurses and frankly, for everyone. And that doesn't mean everybody has to write a story, right? Like that's, we're not all wired that, but finding a way to tell your story, your life story is that I feel that particularly for nurses, it's really healing and it really can, um, it really can restore kind of the joy of your profession. Um, I think that being able to articulate what it is you do and why you do it and the times things went wrong and the times things went right. Um, I, you know, I found personally in my own life, you know, I, I talked about my father passing away and, you know, I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> We're pretty stoic, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I remember my sister went to a public speaking event, you know, the day after my father passed away, because what else would you do? Right? Like, that's just what we did. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to come to terms with that. And I found that once I started the telling, telling the story of what had happened and how it happened and how it had impacted me, I found a lot of healing in that moment. And I also found, actually found a way to make the connection to my work in nursing school. I had a patient with similar symptoms, right? A patient who was within 48 hours of death. And I found that sitting down to to write that all out for myself really helped me to make the connection to the healing piece of that, to understanding what I had gone through and understanding my own resilience, right? And how I could use that to help patients. So long answer to a really short question. So you mentioned earlier that you didn't think your like creative writing skills or, or what you said, bad acting skills <laughs> were necessarily translatable to a nursing science degree, which I totally disagree with. I think <laughs> those skills only make you a better provider, a better scientist, a better researcher, what a better clinician, whatever, right? So I wonder how do we get more nurses and more nursing programs to understand the need to prepare nurses to be storytellers and storytellers in like the broadest definition, right? right? Yep. Like we need nurses who are confident to talk to the media and tell stories. We need nurses who are good writers like Teresa Brown to tell our stories and nurses who are like you able to get up and tell your story in front of a live audience. Like we need <laughs> nurses to be doing all of those things, but we're not training them to do those things. And so how would you encourage nurses right now to take that leap? Oh boy. Well, I mean, I think let's tackle the nursing school thing first. Um, I think from a nursing school standpoint, you know, we teach so many competencies and I understand we've got a lot, like nursing instructors have a lot to tackle to get folks to the NCLEX. I totally get that. But I do think we need to step up how we teach communicate. You know, we talk about communication, but we talk about communication in a very tactical way, right? So we talk about, you know, SBAR at the end of a shift. We talk about, you know, patient education. And those are all really important communications things. 
But I think even just giving students, you know, even if it's, it's tacked on to post-conference and clinicals, right? Learning how to, to um, summarize data in a really succinct and yet really powerful way um, as part, even, even as part of clinicals, even offering like, this is something I would just love to see for all clinical nursing students, a three hour course in improvisational theater. And here's why I say improvisational theater. In improv, you are forced to listen to the other person and adapt to what they are saying. Uh, I, I think that's just like, I think, I, I, I think that would be powerful, right? Like I think teaching them that would be powerful. I mean, I will tell you that I use my improv skills in long-term care all the time. If you have a patient with limited cognitive abilities, imp- improv- particularly if that person is ambulatory and I had that patient on a regular basis, I learned pretty quickly to improvise with her to listen to what she needed and adapt to what she, what she said and to help craft the environment that helped meet her needs. So I think that's from a nursing school standpoint, I think building that in on a, on a better level, I don't know how you test for that in the NCLEX. I just don't think you can. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that the NCLEX don't wanna have every nursing student do an audition for them. So I guess we'll cross that off the list. But I do think uh, from a, you know, once you're out into practice and particularly thinking about where we are, I think every nurse needs to think about what in what venues they are comfortable speaking up, um, whether it's with their family. Um, not every nurse, you know, I understand that everybody likes public speaking like I do. I recognize that I'm a little bit of a freak of nature in that regard. Um, but I think it's finding the place where you wish to be heard. And for a lot of nurses, that's within their family right? And practicing, you know, deciding what it is that's most important for people to know and talking about it, crafting a, a, a narrative, a small narrative that just says, you know, or even like I encourage people to get writing prompts, right? You can buy things that are decks of writing prompts, questions, use that, answer that question. Some people can start out by journaling. I think uh, journaling is a great way for everybody, everybody. I, like I wholeheartedly endorse journaling as a way to get started telling your story. I think for some folks, it's social media, right? We've seen coming out of this pandemic, a lot of videos from nurses that have been super, super powerful. Um, And they didn't realize they were storytelling. They were just sharing, right? And I think sometimes when we tell... When we put the word storytelling on it, sometimes I wonder if we put so much weight on it that then we paralyze people, right? Because if, if you say storytelling to some folks, they're like, oh my gosh, I have to think of, I have to, uh, I have to outline, oh my God, I'm not going to say anything, right? So I think finding those venues where you feel most comfortable and using the medium you feel most comfortable using. And, you know, and for some nurses, it may be painting, right? I, and I think that also is helpful. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. Any way we can infuse art and creativity into the work we're doing as nurses will only make the work that we're doing resonate more with the people that we're, you know, that we're trying to provide care for. So what's next for you, Beth Toner? I hear you're starting a (laughs) master's program. Right. Because two master's degrees was not enough. I actually have decided that three, three master's degree equals a doctorate. So unlike you, Mar- <laughs> unlike you, Marion, I will not have to write a dissertation. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, uh, so I am starting in January, if I can get all my paperwork lined up, I'm starting a master of fine arts program in creative writing uh, with a concentration in narrative and poetic medicine. 
so really that's a fancy way of saying, uh, you know, a writing master's degree, focusing on creative writing, focusing on that, where that intersects with health and healing and the stories we tell about those things. I'm terrified. I'm excited. Um, I haven't yet decided what my project, you know, we have to pick a project, um, you know, and I, I'm going to meet first with a mentor and we'll have, we get to pick up the readings we're going to do. So I have yet to decide what uh, my writing project is going to be. I, and I've toyed with the idea of doing some kind of performance piece um, around nurses in the pandemic. Um, but I've also thought about, you know, exploring my own journey just in terms of losing my father when I was 14 and how that impacted my life. But I don't know yet. So that's what I'm doing in January. And um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really nervous. I will say that um, I'm pretty confident in my writing abilities, but it has taken, I'm, I, I'm suffering a certain amount of imposter syndrome going into this. Um, I think because it's creative writing, um, I'm pretty, like I said, I'm pretty confident in my writing abilities. Like, do I really have a story to, and isn't this ironic? We spent, you know, the last half hour sitting here, but but like, do I, no, seriously, do I have a story worth telling? Is it even worth telling? Does anybody want to hear? So isn't that interesting, right? Like I'm saying you to tell your story, but I, even I'm struggling with that. Right. Right. This Um, comes full circle, right? Like the imposter syndrome you feel, you felt in nursing, and now going on to your third master's degree <laughs> in a field where you've spent most of your career in communications and writing, you're still feeling that imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, I find wa- that fascinating. Yeah, and I wonder what that is. And I, I find that in a lot of nurses, right? I think, um, I, I do think in some regards, it is the traditional, if you look at our profession traditionally, it is very much a... Uh, um, it is the gendered nation, yeah. nature of our profession. It really is. I mean, it right. Really like, is. I mean, and you know, I mean, I, I want to recognize that there is a broad spectrum of, you know, gender identities yep. and all those things like, so acknowledging that, right. But knowing that I am a cisgendered white female, you know, who is 50 <coughs> something, right. <laughs> like I was very much, you know, it's interesting because my father pretty much and my mother both taught us that we could do anything we set our minds to and yet, Right. And yet, so I think it, I do, I do think that it is both a profession and I think it is also, you know, who I am and I am a product of my environment, but it's, it's interesting. I hadn't really made that connection until I said that. (laughs) It's fascinating, Beth. I mean, I think I'm so excited for you. I'm excited for what you're going to do with that degree and that degree for nursing afterwards. And I can't wait to um, you know, see what comes of it and uh, happy to support you in any way. If you want me to read anything you're writing, you want to bounce ideas off me, I'm here for you. That's fabulous. I really actually, I love, I appreciate that. And thank you. And, you know, I mean, I think the other thing I, I think about as I head into this, is like what, you know, in your fifties, you start to think about what can I do to leave the world a better place? And where can I push on the systems that I think are unjust? And I think that's kind of really at the back of my mind with this. It's, it's, I love to write and I love to tell a story, but can I also use this to not just tell my story, but to really start to push on the systems where they, where I feel they are unjust, right? Like, I think that is, I have been very privileged in what I have received in this life through, through, through no, no fault of my own, right? Like I, I landed where I landed. And so I want to use my powers for good. And I hope to do that with, with everything that I've, I've done and will do. 
Well, Beth, I think that is the perfect place to end. I know you will use your powers for good. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us today. Uh, this is this is a really, really fabulous day, way to end my day. So thank you very much, Marion. It was great to talk to you as always. Hello, Angela. Hello, Marion. How are you? I'm swell. How are you? Amazing. Great. We had a lovely conversation with Beth Toner, aka Woman with Friday Brain. <laughs> I think that was me. I don't think that was her. <laughs> I didn't think so either. I just thought it was a funny joke she made before we started. <laughs> it really was. As you could tell, Beth and I were friends, and I just enjoyed talking with her so very much. Yeah, I can totally see why. She's an amazing, fascinating person. I loved her take on storytelling and nursing. I loved her um, description of her experiences. She was such, I found her so engaging. Yeah, totally engaging. We have really nice conversations all the time about these topics. But what I found really interesting was the whole imposter syndrome thing that that seems to keep coming up in her life, first with nursing school, and then now with um, entering this Masters of Fine Arts program. And she's incredibly talented on all levels. And the imposter syndrome thing just blows my mind. Not that I don't have it, because seriously, I have it every day. But <laughs> she's right in that I think it's a gendered thing. I think it's a nursing thing. But it's definitely a thing that needs to get thrown to the wayside because nurses are incredible at what they do. They're experts in their own right. And whatever area we decide to jump into, we should do it with 100% confidence that we have the skills, background, and knowledge to be doing it. And that includes communications, that includes storytelling, includes any of these other areas where nurses are now starting to dabble. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that um, in, in that the imposter syndrome is a bit of a problem all around in nursing. Where I, I think we differ on this is that I don't, I don't think we need to worry about going into it with confidence. I think we need to worry. I think we need to go into it and say, it's not going to be that big of a deal if this is the wrong idea and learn from that. And you know what I mean? And, and pivot if we need to, or move forward if we need to, or you know, collaborate with somebody who may have some more expertise. I think it's it's almost that perfectionism that we feel like we have to do it. We have to do it absolutely well or else we'll never have this opportunity again. You don't see that so much in other professions and you don't see that so much with um, our, our male colleagues. I seriously couldn't agree with you more. And I'm so glad you differed um, from my opinion on that, because I, I agree with you hundred percent. I don't think we shouldn't be doing those things if we don't feel confident, but I guess what I'm saying is we should feel confident because we can do those things. And we only don't feel confident because of the imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. That's, that's totally it. You hit the nail on the head there. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode with Beth Toner. This is our last episode of season two for 2020. Look for season three to be launched in early 2021. Until then, make sure you check out all of our previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or wherever you do your podcast listening. We hope everyone has a safe and happy holiday season. 
Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa DiDonato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing, with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can do us a solid, please rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.